Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi everyone and welcome to Heart and Hand Extra. I'm Cami Bell, I'm your host as always. And a special show for you this week as myself and David Edgar sat down with former Rangers chairman Dave King and Club 1872 director Laura Fox to talk about the Never Again project. This is a project which I'm sure you've spoken about recently where Club 1872 are looking to be able to take advantage of the opportunity to reach 25% shareholding ownership within Rangers to become the largest single shareholder. Uh, Former chairman Mr King has obviously agreed to sell his entire shareholding in um, RIFC directly to 1872 and David and I sat down uh, with both Dave and Laura to be able to talk about that how it's been going so far and also to follow up in some of the fantastic content that was involved within the interview recently with Four Lads Had a Dream with our very own Stephen Clifford and Chris Jack. If you'd like to be able to go over to listen to that, the link to that is in the comments for this pod Alternatively, please head over to the Four Lads Had a Dream site on Twitter. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks very much. Thanks, first of all, to both of our guests for joining us today. First of all, from the Directoral Board of Club 1872, it's Laura Fox. Laura, it's fantastic to have you back on Heart and Hand again. Hi, thanks for having me, David. And a man who needs no introduction, but he's getting one anyway, because without him, goodness knows where our football club would be. Former Rangers chairman, Dave King, a man who at one point I'm sure will be building a statue for and I will personally be leading the fundraising. Dave, before we get started, thank you for doing this, but thank you for everything. No, thank you. I I really appreciate these kind words and and I'm looking forward to our chat. Well, Laura, let's just get started then. Um, Could you just tell the listeners, in essence, what this is about? Yep. So we're calling it um, the Never Again campaign. Um, we're also referring it referring to it as a legacy campaign, um, and it's about encouraging people to get behind. First of all, the idea, the general 
idea behind Club 1872 um, Shears Company, which exists to purchase shares um, in Rangers. The specific focus of the campaign um, is to take advantage of the opportunity that Dave King has offered us, um, and that is to buy his entire shareholding. Um, we've, we've reached an agreement with Dave that we that we can purchase those shares over a period of three years. And the idea behind call, referring, it to, uh, referring to it as a legacy campaign um, is that this will be the legacy that we leave to future generations, that we will be the first generation of Rangers fans um, to have had a significant shareholding and therefore a significant influence um, over the club. It's also about protecting the club. It's about leaving that legacy for our children and our grandchildren. Um, we've spoken about this publicly. And I mean, it's a topic that, you know, we, we, should, we don't need to explain to any Rangers fan. Um, but if we think back to where our club has been over the last eight years or so, probably more than that. Um, and that's what Dave coined the term never again. Um, and the idea behind that is that it brings into focus um, the idea that we can protect the club and we can protect future generations so that they never have to experience what we experienced as Rangers fans, where we saw our club in peril, um, there was a time where we just we just didn't know what was going to happen with the club. I'll never forget, you know, having conversations with friends and family. And I think I referred to this uh, when I spoke to Stevie at Four Lads last week. I remember uh, the day after the last game, um, prior to us going into administration, mm -hmm. I was talking to a family member, and we were, you know, saying, "Were you at the game yesterday?" And you know, how was it? And and we were saying, you know. It was a scary time. There was real fear. You know, I remember this guy saying to me, this could be it, Laura. You know, we don't know if we're ever going to be back in Ibrook Stadium. Um, and I remember that real sense of fear. And that's something that I don't want future generations of Rangers fans to ever experience. I know that Dave feels the same. And that's why he's presented Club 1872 with this opportunity. So that's what it's all about. It's about um, protecting the club for future generations and making sure we have a meaningful say um, and what goes on at our club in terms of major decisions and, and the direction of, of travel. Dave, can I just ask then, kind of on to Laura's point there, what specifically you you were drawn to Club 1872 by? I mean, was there anything in particular that you felt this would be the, the right vehicle to be able to try and, and pass on the shareholding? There was. I mean, I think that Laura articulated very well, you know, what the campaign is really about. But, you know, from my point of view, it really was um, a question of the timing of the opportunity that I made available to Club 1872. And that really goes down to my personal circumstances. For example, if I felt that in any way that my services were needed by the club or my money, in fact, was needed by the club, then I wouldn't have done this. So it's not something that could have happened, let's say, over the last five or six years where my role, you know, was more more involved and, and possibly more critical at some stages in terms of dealing with some of the issues we faced. But given that I've stepped down from the board, um, I have a time myself to reflect by during a very aggressive lockdown in South Africa as to what would happen with my shielding going forward. And I'd had a number of very enjoyable and, and fruitful discussions with 1872 over my time as chairman. Um, you know, a, a lot of your listeners may not know this, but um, Club 1872 was very instrumental in the whole campaign um, for regime change. In fact, if it wasn't for Club 1872, I would not get involved at all. It was really their, their urging of me to get involved that really, that really got me involved in the first place. So I've enjoyed a good relationship with Club 1872. Um, I like the people there. I like their, you know, just the way they go about things. So when I, when I got to my kind of own decision to say that I think you know, as a legacy for me, 
in looking at mass reordering, I would like to see it getting back to supporters and supporter groups. Then Club 1872 was a very kind of obvious organisation for me to talk to based on my strong communications with them and the absolute trust I have in them to look after the best interest of supporters going forward. Laura, it's an ambitious um, amount to raise for a fans group. Both Cammy and I were involved in previous iterations of fans group and, and we know what it's like going out trying to, to raise capital for a fans group. I suppose a, a question is what happens if the total amount isn't raised? Would the would Club 1872 buy a set amount of Dave's shares or would that money be used in other ways? Yeah, so we've reached an agreement with Dave that we will buy his shares in tranches. So the purchases will take place over the period of three years. So what that means won't be happening is that we won't be accumulating this sort of huge pot of money. And then when we realise, you know, if we realise we've, we've fallen short of the total, you know, Dave pulls the plug and we go, what are we going to do with this money? And um, we'll be buying the shares over a period of time. Um, there may there may come a point where the deal falls short um, and there will be maybe a period of a few months where we've been accumulating uh, funds to purchase, to make the final uh, shares purchases from Dave. Um, and as I say, that it might it might be the case that we aren't able to, to meet, meet those targets. Um, but that, those, that money will always be ring-fenced for shares. Um, anything that's donated um, in terms of this uh, leg, these legacy donations, we're calling them legacy memberships, all of that, all of those funds are ring-fenced for shares. So if they're not spent on buying Dave's shares, they'll be spent in buying on shares uh, in other ways. We've always been on the lookout for shares purchases from individual shareholders. We've taken part in share issues uh, through the club. Um, and those things are always going to be our priority. So um, so it's not it's not a case of we raise some of the money, you know, Dave pulls the plug and then you know we're not able to spend to spend that money. The point will always be to purchase shares and rangers and that'll always be the focus. Just as an aside on that, as something that I was quite passionate about with Club eighteen seventy two was the projects that you did in terms of things like charity work and whatnot. does that have to stop or will that be something that can continue? No, that doesn't have to stop. Um, there are there are many donation uh, options available on the website. There are specific donations that relate to the legacy campaign, um, and they give people an opportunity who who just want to buy shares to make a donation solely for that purpose. Um, there are other donation uh, options available. One is to split your donation so that some goes to shares and some goes to projects. Um, other donation methods allow you to donate only for projects. There are other donation. Uh, methods available that are just for shares as well and so you know historically that we have had people who split their donations I would say the vast majority of, of people who donate to Club 1872 split between projects and shares but historically we have had a number of people who will just donate to shares because that's their priority mm. and there are some people who have specific visions in mind for like I don't know, like uh, infrastructure redevelopment around Ibrooks. So those people have always just donated for projects. But that's something that will continue um, and, and we'll continue to look at available projects and, and what we can spend that money on. And the project side of things always goes to a member vote. It's different from the shares aspect of the organisation. The key purpose of the shares company is to buy shares in Rangers Football Club. So um, the very fact that people are donating to that means that they have approved uh, the purchase of, of shares uh, with those funds. The project side of it is, is slightly different in that people are donating um, money for the benefit to, to fund projects 
for the benefit of the Rangers community. And there are obviously a number of um, of projects within that within that um, description. Uh, so we we usually so we always put those those ideas to members. Um, we'll say you know we have been investigating. Let's say we funded a uh, hundred places uh, for uh, disadvantaged kids uh, yes. to, for the soccer schools uh, at Rangers. Um, and members were given the option as to whether that was something they wanted to fund or not. So that side of things will continue. Um, the choice is, is absolutely available to people if that's something they believe in um, and they're not so interested in the sheer side of things. They can continue to do that just by going to the website and, and choosing their donation methods. That's great. That's great. Great to hear. Dave, um, Lord obviously mentioned there in terms of, and I think you, you guys spoke about it last week with regards to the, the, the time scale, um, and it's a massive undertaking. So best case scenario, we, we are able to do this within the three-year time scale, and I mean, that, that, that's, that's absolutely fantastic as we get what we're looking to achieve. You mentioned before that that may be flexible in terms of your opportunity from it. Are there any other scenarios within which you think that potentially you would deliver over the shares? So, for example, safeguarding your block, potentially giving them to them trust, anything like that that Club 1872 could use as an alternate vehicle in case we meet, or we meet and breach the three-year timeline? The, the, the three years was a figure that we came up with jointly because I think both, both parties recognised it's not something that could happen immediately. It's, it's, a, it's a big campaign we understand the demands and supporters already. So we, we came up with three years as being something that we thought was sensible and, and that could be achievable. However, I've indicated to, to Club 1872 that if at the end of the three years, you know, we hadn't completed the process, that I would be very, very comfortable extending it for, for, for a further period. So three years was a, 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 a realistic estimate of what we thought was doable. But if it turned out to be four years, four and a half years or five years, then I'm very flexible in the timeframes. But what is really important to me is that the supporters finally have a permanent say uh, in the future of our club. So do you find that as being the alternate rather than putting the shares on the open market if, say, in 36 months we're not at that spot, you're comfortable to be able to extend that so that the supporters receive those shares? Yeah, I think my view is that if at the end of 36 months the club had, say, completed 70, 75, whatever the percentage is of the total, um, then the balance would remain with me and I would regard myself as just being a, you know, another supporter working with 1872 and giving them enough time to complete the transaction. So I, I cannot view myself from now on uh, as working in, in tandem with Club 1872 where initially my proportion of shares is going to be higher. Um, and over time as Club 1872 acquires shares from me, their, their proportion will be, will, will be higher than mine. And hopefully by the end of the period, uh, all, all of the shares will be in the safe hands of Club 1872. Fantastic. Laura, why buy older shares, if you like, existing shares rather than direct from the club? Were Club 1872 asked to participate in share sales at any point this year, or has this really been the only opportunity? No, we have had uh, ongoing discussions. Um, like we're always you know, in, in contact with the club and in dialogue with the club. Um, and our members voted for, I can't remember which number the resolution was last year. It's resolution eight this year, but it's just completely out of my head which it was last year, um, which gave it, it in, in voting for that the shareholders allowed the board 
um, the freedom to to choose who would participate in share issues. Um, and it was always made very clear to us prior to that point where we last voted for it, um, that we would be allowed to, to take part in those share issues. We have had ongoing discussions with the club uh, this year um, about whether we would participate in share issues. And my understanding is that that option is always open to us um, and will continue to be open to us. Um, our members, we just put it out this morning that our, our members have voted overwhelmingly uh, to support Resolution 8. So we have had discussions with the club about it, but there are, there are so many variables that might come into play at any given time um, before we make a decision about whether to participate in a share issue. And it's the same with a, a private um, transaction as well, if you like. You know, we have to look at what the value is. Um, we have to look at the price point. We have to look at if it's the club. We have to look at what the financial position is at the club. Um, there, there's an exchange of information that takes place um, and a lot of dialogue that goes on around that. But it's certainly something that we're always keen to talk about with the club. Um, and one of the one of the things that we have made sure um, to do was to reach an agreement with with the club um, that the opportunity would would exist going forward um, beyond the beyond tomorrow's AGM for Club 1872 to participate in share issues because what we never wanted was to get into a situation where we had made a formal agreement to buy Dave shares and then the club came to us and said well you know we'd like you to participate in this share issue or, or rather sorry would you like to participate in this share issue um, and we would have to say no to that. that that's certainly not a situation that we would want to be in so it's there's not at this stage um, and going forward I don't think there will be a clear choice between either give the money to Dave King um, or or participate in share issues there is some flexibility there and Dave has spoken previously um, we spoke to Stevie last week and he talked about his flexibility in that regard as well. So that flexibility is there. Um, I know that there are supporters out there who always would prefer to see the money go into the club. Equally, there are supporters out there who would prefer us just to buy it, to hoover up as many shares at as low a price as we can, because that 25% plus one is the most important thing to those supporters. But it's a balance. It's about striking a balance and, and keeping the dialogue going and, and making decisions at any given time that we feel are right for the membership and, and for the club. So if there Laura, was, sorry, David, so if there was an opportunity, or not an opportunity, but say there was a situation rather where the club came to Club 1872 and said, we, we need an injection of capital, and obviously yeah. that doesn't happen, you yeah. would be in a position to make a decision to, if you like, divert or, or hold off on the transaction with Dave and put money into the club in return for shares? Absolutely. Absolutely. No doubt about it that if the club came to us and said, we need that injection um, of funds, absolutely. That is something that we would be in a position to to look at and um, and and almost certainly make that decision immediately. I mean, we would have to have a conversation with the club about, you know, just like they would they would with any potential investor, the club would would be in a position would have to be in a position to share information with us. So there would be a discussion to take place about it. I think as a responsible shareholding fans group. Um, if there's a if there's a situation where the club come to, come to us unexpectedly and say we need this money, we should never just be saying yes, like blindly yes. Here's the money. Um, it should always be a yes, but let's have a conversation about how it got to this. Let's have a conversation about what the other options were, because I think um, I mean I've talked about this before, but a healthy functioning business should not re be require requiring um, its customers to indefinitely inject funds to you know, to keep it afloat. It's always been, as I understand it, um, it's always been the case um, since regime change that there was a plan in place, that the shared issues were put in place 
on a planned basis, but that we will be approaching a, a period of self-sufficiency. Um, now, that might have changed because, because of COVID. There might be sort of extra financial pressures on the club. Um, but if the club came to us and said, we need this injection of funds, absolutely, we would be in a position and more than willing uh, to do that. But I think there would also need to be a conversation um, almost just to, I mean, as a responsible shareholder, as I said, it's a, it's a conversation we would want to have. But also I think the support at that point would be looking for an assurance that, that a new plan was being put in place. As I say, it's not something that we would expect to continue indefinitely, but absolutely the answer is that we would be in a position, as you said, your words were, to divert those funds away um, from the from the arrangement we've put in place with Dave. Uh, absolutely. Excellent. And Laura, does that then mean that there has to be any reassurances given to any new shareholders who came in in the last 12 months, for example, in the fact that obviously our current focus at the moment is to be able to try and buy from um, Dave's shareholding block, but the assumption would have been that when joining a few months ago, you were putting into the club purchasing new shares. So do we have to give them that reassurance that obviously that could be quite a fluid situation dependent on the landscape? How do you mean, like club 18, like new club eighteen seventy two members? Yeah, so anyone who may have joined eighteen seventy two in the last twelve months to buy new yeah. shares rather than purchasing yeah. existing ones now, which we'll be doing from from Dave's block. Yeah, I think. I mean, look, it's it's very clear um, from our constitution, and it's very clear in terms of like what the vision has always been that the purpose is to buy shares. It's, the purpose has never been to buy shares directly through share issues. As I say, there, there may be people, in fact, I know there are people whose preference has always been to participate in share issues and always will be to participate in share issues. But equally, as I said, there are people who are quite content for us to buy shares wherever the opportunity arises. So in 2017, um, we spent a million pounds purchasing Mike Ashley's, a part of Mike Ashley's shareholding. So I don't think it would... It shouldn't be news um, to the support or to Club 1872 members that opportunities not only exist for us to buy shares out with share issues, but that we take those opportunities where we feel that it's in the best interest of Club 1872 and the club. Dave and Laura, I'd, I'd like both of your takes on this, please. Obviously, there's the, the possibility that the £13 million is raised, which would be a, a fantastic effort by both Club 1872 and the support, and then we don't hit the magic 25 plus one. Um, and let me just state right here, I'm a huge long-term campaigner for that because that means the club's protected. I mean, in my time at the Trust, David Murray wanted to sell Ibrox, and had there been a fan block in place, they could just have killed that straight away and I wouldn't have had as many sleepless nights. But Dave, um, what happens if the shares are diluted by others? Because obviously we saw... There was a, a, a purchase. We don't know who buy on Friday. What can be done to reassure fans that this will still help us get to that magic number? The, the, the magic number, you're right, is, is in fact a magic number, which is a 25.1 share. However, um, that there can be no guarantees that all time that one would reach that number, but clearly the closer one is to that number, um, the easier it's going to be to protect your position. So, for example... Let's assume in five years' time you've got a different board in place and that board decides for whatever reason it wants to reduce the impact of Club 1872 and supporters. And it started trying to get resolutions through to allow it to issue shares to people who it wanted to and exclude Club 1872. Mm. Now, the club would be able to do that and do it fairly easily if Club 1872 are sitting at 6 7 8%. But if Club 
1872 is even at 23%, 22%, it's going to be extremely difficult to do so. And remember, that's something the club has done recently. Um, that during my time as chairman, we deliberately had shared allocations where we excluded Mike Ashley, we excluded the Easdales, and there was a reason for that. And th that's why I'm indicating there's got to be a permanence here. What we want to do here is a legacy for the future, not, not for this board, because this board is a board that we can all trust. This is a board who's been party to the regeneration of the club. This is a board who's worked with Club 1872, who's worked with supporters to restore trust. I'm not worried about this board. I'm worried about what happens in five years' time, six years' time, seven years' time. So whether it's 25% or 24%, I think that figure has got to be as high as possible, but always striving for 25 plus 1%. So take Laura's point. If for some reason, you know, the club um, was diluted to 23%, then Club 1872 can go out and find other shareholders and buy shares from other shareholders and try and get back to 25%. So I think that that should always be the minimum target. And if the club drops below, it should always strive to get back there. I think that's that's a very fair way of putting it. And Laura, that then would always be the case that, that Club 1872 would always be aiming for that 25 plus one to give them that, if you like, that that power of, of veto, I suppose. Yeah, I think... Like, Dave's right, there's no guarantee for any investor who purchases shares that they will not be diluted. Um, and even if you are an individual, let's say, you know, of immense personal wealth, unless if there's going to be new shares issued, you're going to have to put more money in. Now, that's the same for Club 1872. If there are, if there are future share issues, we have the choice, we will hope to have the choice, we certainly have the choice over the last few years, um, and as I say, we have an agreement in place with the Rangers board that certainly for the term of uh, the, the, the tomorrow's AGM will cover that we will be able to participate in future share issues. But the same goes for Club 1872 as goes for individual investors. And that the, it's the case that we need to continue to fund um, our own involvement so that we avoid dilution. Now, this is definitely something that we anticipated people would ask us about. So we've covered it on the website. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I've got it in front of of me and we've called it phase two of the legacy campaign the main aims of phase two legacy campaign are as follows achieve and maintain at least a 25 percent plus one shareholding in rifc seek opportunities and dialogue with rangers to inject further funds into the club through share issues and club 1872 projects um, we've written that once phase one is complete, we'll move on to phase two. Dependent on any dilution which may have occurred during the term of the agreement, our first priority will be to take the Club 1872 shareholding over 25%. We will seek to do this by asking RIFC to issue further shares to us. But if for any reason they do not do so, then we will seek to purchase those shares off the market as quickly as possible. So it, it's basically just carrying out Club 1872's function. Function, um, which has always been to purchase shares and to avoid dilution, but that, that responsibility falls on us as members of Club 1872. There's no sugar daddy out there that's investing in Club 1872, and that's why the Club 1872 model was set up the way that it was. We ask people to to, to donate on a, a monthly, ongoing basis, and it's purely a numbers game with Club 1872. The more members we have, the more people who are donating, the less likely it is that we're going to be diluted. Uh, can I just ask the both of you then, um, in a scenario, because we know that, that with recent club accounts that have come out, there's a, a forecast in that potentially there's figures of around, around about £9 million in terms of debt and equity until the end of this year and potentially up to 14 and a half by the 
end of season 2021-2022. Within that, if in that case, Laura, you were saying there about a sugar daddy, if someone was to be able to then say, I do have the £13 million to hand, some would say, well, could we put that into the club because of the obvious impact that's happened over this, the course of this year? How would you say that that would be better to be put into 1872 to then potentially go into tranches rather than just one lump amount? Sorry, I'm, we broke up a wee bit there, so I sort of missed, I heard the, the beginning of that and then the end. Could you just rephrase for that, that for me, Cami? Yeah, no worries. So if it was a case that given the levels of debt and, and potential equity that we're going to have to raise between the end of this year and next year, so that's from about £9 million going into £14.5 million, um, next season, if someone was to say I've got a, a large shareholding here which I can give to you as part of a £13 million package mm-hmm. how would you respond to people saying well let's just put that straight into the club if the club needs it Right, so so you're asking me if there's a choice between an independent investor who has millions to put in or Club 1872 holding yeah, if, yeah. if they were able to come to you to do that but the requirement oh. was to put it all straight into the club Right, okay. Um, well, look, that goes back to the agreement that we've reached with the club, um, and that is that if there's if they need an injection of, of, of funds, that we will be able to participate in the, those share issues. Um, at the moment, I don't know that that opportunity exists. Um, I don't know that there's a like-for-like deal on the table. Um, Dave, you could maybe speak more on that point. Um but look, I'm always going to sell Club 1872 as the best option um, in terms of how supporters can gain influence. I think it's really important as well that we say, we take it back to why we're calling it the legacy campaign, never again. Um, supporters having that that level of influence is really, really important. That's why Club 1872 exists. That's not to say that Club 1872 members don't understand that there are times where in the short term the club might need injection of funds and that's why we have taken part in share issues where we know that our shareholding is going to be diluted and we've never said well our shareholding is going to be diluted by that so we'll just look to buy shares from the open market instead I think there is an understanding of where we've been over the last three three years a few years within the support I think there's an understanding of the plan that's been in place but equally I think there's also a very deep um, understanding um, and emotional feeling about where we've been over the last few years. So I think it's about trying to balance what the club needs in the short term um, with putting that protection in place and having supporters, uh, having a seat around the table and and having that major influence. And can I just back you up on that? As I say, as a former RST person, um, if you don't believe that Club 1872 are the best vehicle uh, as a board member, you shouldn't be there. So you're quite right in my opinion. To, yeah. to think that. No, absolutely. I just wanted to back Laura up on that. Um, Dave, you're the, really the only one who can answer this because you're the only one who's, who's sat at that table um, in Ibrox. Is there any concern that it might put off an investor who coming to the club and, and putting money in in return for shares might say, well, there's a fans group that has 25 point plus one um is there any concerns that that maybe that would put an investor off and they think well i won't get the influence i want or is that a good thing i would think the opposite would be the situation because if i was an investor in renders and coming from the outside um and, and i looked at where the risk has been to rangers that there's been a complete disconnect for a period of time between rangers and its supporters and as much as myself and the board tried to bridge that gap you know over the last six six seven years 
Um, Abedemise and other investors going forward would want to know and would prefer a situation where, where the, the investors who are also supporters, as Laura repeats, is your customers. When your customers are that highly invested in the business, it changes the dynamics completely. And, and I think that's something that we've seen five, six years ago when we were trying to get supporters to sit in boycotts and, and, and some of these more radical situations. But even, even going forward, if you can... If you can even take the temperature and what's happening, say, on the other side of the city at the moment, you know, you have a board that's done very, very well, and supporters start to get disaffected. Um, and I don't know the reason behind that specific situation, but you do have a situation where supporters feel they want a voice, they want an influence, but they don't have it because they're not represented at the board. And I think that becomes a risk for the club. And the only way you can bridge that is by having supporters sitting at the board table where they are part of the decisions. And if I was an investor, I would be very, very comfortable knowing that my biggest customer is also my most significant shareholder. Yeah, I think I was, that's exactly what I was thinking, Dave, just when I heard the question. I think, um, I don't think, I don't think any, any evidence is required um, as, as, as to the club, as to the support's loyalty. Um, but this would be further evidence of that. If I were an investor, I'd be looking at that and thinking, right, okay, that's a loyal customer base that I've got. Um, and I think that can only be an advantage. I think that the other thing is as well, we have been significant shareholders for some time. Um, at one point, we were the second largest shareholder. Um, so there's, this is not some new idea that we're sort of springing on the club and potential investors. Um, this is something that's been around for a while. Um, we have held a significant shareholding and we've held it responsibly. Um, we've worked very well with the club. Um, so I, I think that should give an assurance to people that this is not something that, that they should be frightened of. Or that, like, I understand why supporters might be wary of it. Like, David, you're right. You know, there's been different fans groups through the years. And, um, you know, you look back and you think, you know, what did they achieve? Um, we now have an opportunity. It's fair, don't, don't worry about it. It's fair enough. The trust we no. didn't succeed. No. <laughs> don't, don't feel bad about that. <laughs> no, no, that's not what I was going to say. What I was going to say... <laughs> we're, no, we're honest about it. We're, we're aware. No, what I was going to say was, okay, so in terms of the shareholding, there, may be, well, there certainly wasn't the achievement that Club 1872 has, has made. Um, but in terms of, I don't want to say bragging rights, but in terms of that ability to look back and say, okay, so we had that in place. The opportunity was there. We had people speaking very eloquently and very um, persuasively to the support at that time, but the support didn't get behind it and look what happened. So mm. I would say that's probably the biggest um, and most significant thing that the previous fans groups achieved other than to be involved in, as Dave was speaking about earlier, regime change. Um, I think we weren't called Club 1872 at that point, um, but under different guises. Um, obviously, there was a lot of dialogue with Dave about coming back and, and doing what he he ended up doing for the club. But I think probably the greatest achievement um, of the trust and RAF and whatnot is that sort of, a, I mean, it's like a teaching moment, I suppose, to look back and say, OK, so we had that opportunity then and we didn't take it. And look where we ended up as mm -hmm. a support. Um, and if we could go back in time and, and, and make a donation, as whatever we could afford on a monthly basis, would we, would we have done that? And certainly for me, the answer is yes, and that, that speaks to that never again thing. We have that opportunity now. Um, and, and I think back then, it was people just saying, look, this might happen. And that, like, with football, right, it's, it's an emotional connection that we have to the club and the team. And it's an emotional intelligence thing, right? It's like when you think, I want to get a new car, right? And you think, I'll, I'll be happy once I get that new car, right? Or you think, oh, I've got this job lined up. 
I'll be happy when I get that job. Um, and it's the same, like, this is quite a dark note here, right? But you, you hear people saying, you know, if I lost a child, for example, you know, I would never recover from it. I wouldn't be able to function. And actually, one, we're, we're not made happy by these things. And two, you know, people do survive very difficult periods in their life. But it, at least not exactly the same thing, but it's the same principle here where what we had was you years ago, David, telling people this might happen and then telling people this is likely to happen and then telling people this is going to happen mm -hmm. but there was an emotional intelligence thing going on where we just thought nah like it can't happen at rangers like we just didn't believe that it was ever gonna gonna happen to us but now we have that ability to say to people okay this did happen to us so it would be very very foolish of us to think that it could never happen again see on that laura um the, the biggest mistake looking back at, at the, the the supporters trust was that we were far too much of a pressure group rather than a serious yeah. legitimate share and that's something club 1872 absolutely is so much better at than us but is there a feeling that in terms of maybe things like you know social media and communications and stuff that that, that club 1872 will, will kind of have to move away from that sort of thing and move more in because it is such a huge transaction that it really takes you into another stratosphere Look, it's a really difficult line to walk in terms of that sort of pressure group, you know, major shareholder bit, because the truth is we have to do a bit of both. Um, we have to have to hold constructive and oftentimes uh, confidential and private dialogue with the club. That's important as a major shareholder. That's how we built up a relationship of trust with Dave, for example. But equally, we have to let the support know that we're doing doing our job right we have to let them know that we understand what their issues are and um, we have to under let them understand that we are representing them to the board so that that requires a bit of public conversation about let's say for example um, and I know you guys spoke about this at length on previous pods let's say the difficulties that we had I think you know in hindsight they maybe just look like teething difficult teething problems with Castor you know there were some sort of quality control issues and, and communication issues there um, it, it wouldn't have been appropriate for us just to say nothing about that publicly because if you're just an ordinary punter looking at Club 1872 and they're saying nothing about something that almost everyone else in the support is talking about you're going to think that there's a disconnect there. You're going to think, why are they not talking about this? Do they not understand the issues that we are having? Or are they too scared of the board to, to, to pass comment on this? And that's something that we we have dealt with for a number of years. Now, look, I, I've had conversations with Chris Graham, who was previously um, a spokesperson for the Trust, like yourself. And what he's always said to me is... <laughs> you guys have a much more difficult job than myself, Craig Houston, David Edgar had. He said, all we had to do was throw rocks at the mm -hmm. previous board. Like all we had to do was publicly criticise them every opportunity we got to keep that awareness out there that something was really wrong at our club. He said, you guys have to let the support know that you're holding the board to account, that you understand the issues and that you're not afraid to challenge the board where necessary. But at the same time, you have to be holding private and constructive dialogue with the club. And like, I mean, I wasn't involved in the trust um, back in those days. I was a member, but I, I wasn't involved as an office bearer or volunteer or anything. Um, but that makes sense to me, what he said. Um, and it's definitely something that we have struggled with, is like sort of creating that balance between being not a pressure group. That's never what I think Club 1872 set out to be. Um, but create, striking that balance. 
for me, the influence comes from holding the shares. Right? That's where you're absolutely right. That's where this differs from anything that the trust or RF ever achieved. And that's where that's where you have your independence from from the club. That's how you how you exert your independences and how you vote the shares. Mm. Um, and that's how you that's how you hold the board to account ultimately. But there are always going to be, and I think one of the things you mentioned there as well was, was social media. Again, that's a difficult line for for Club eighteen seventy two to walk, um, and it's it's something that we're always looking at and we're always trying to learn on. Because if you if you put sort of light hearted tweets out, for example, you know you, you are going to get people saying you're supposed to be a major shareholder. You know why you, why are you joking about this, that, or the other. But equally, if it's all just sort of stuffy statements that you're putting out or updates on the website, you get people saying, oh, they're not real fans at Club 1872. You know, they don't understand or, or they say you need to be trying to engage more on a sort of grassroots level. So these are difficult lines to walk. Um, but there is a commitment at Club 1872 to sort of uphold both those responsibilities. And all we can do is keep trying and, and keep talking, keep talking to the club and keep talking to the support about, about how we do things better. You mentioned Chris there. Um, I'm sure it would be reassuring to a lot of fans to know that he was involved um, in Club 1872. Is he still involved in Club 1872? Yeah, Chris is a volunteer at Club 1872. Um, he helps out just like any other volunteer, like as and when he can. Um, everyone apart from the admin assistant um, is involved on a voluntary basis. So we do what we can when we can. We have a number of volunteers in place. Um, Chris is quite comfortable and I'm quite comfortable publicly saying that he's involved. There are a number of volunteers who are less comfortable saying that they're involved and there are various reasons why that might be. Some people, you know, in terms of their job situation, would just rather not be public about their involvement. I've been there and people might think that sounds daft, but there are companies that do frown upon it. Yeah, yeah. And I think as well, like the reality of it is you take a lot of abuse when you when you go public in terms of your involvement in Club 1872. Like you'll have heard this like a hundred times, probably more than a hundred times, you know, people saying, oh, you know, it's all egos that get involved in transfers. And I, I always think that's a bizarre thing to say because nothing is worse for your ego than like going on social media and seeing what people are saying about you when the fans group on something that they don't like or they don't approve of. Um, so and like, most of the time it's sort of light-hearted and you know just sort of light criticism but there are times where it's been pretty dark pretty nasty stuff that, that's come our way um you know people telling you to drink bleach and you know horrible misogynistic abuse particularly aimed at myself and, and joanne who i know that you were involved with at the trust um so there are a number of volunteers who come to us and say like i really want to help but i just don't want to get involved in that like it's not worth it um and we have to respect that. So the choice is always there for people, whether they want to publicly say that they're involved with Club 1872. But if they don't, there's absolutely no issue with that. Um, and what we're not going to do is, is get into a situation where we're having to sort of account for every volunteer who, who gets involved and provide details on the internet of what their involvement is, because it wouldn't be fair. And I think it would put people off um, getting involved. And what we want is for this to be a member-led organisation, for as many people to be involved behind the scenes um, and publicly as we can get. Laura, I've I've done exactly that. I've stood outside the the kind of the John Gregg statue, and I was involved with RST to talk to fans to say about being able to try and join up to the trust. And you're absolutely right. There's a lot of consideration there that a lot of fans yeah. don't feel as if there was a problem back when we had some of our really dark days. And yeah. I think the volunteer aspect is something which I'm keen to understand. You mentioned ramping up. Um, the kind of governance of, of, of 1872 and, and we, we know that it's a 
a, a task that's really kind of governed by your passion for the club. So in terms of that ramp up that you'd mentioned before, have you guys been able to get any more structure based around that? Because you know, the, the potential monies involved now have went into the stratosphere in terms of you know, £13 million figures. So have you guys been able to, to put anything into that? No, nothing's been put in place. We're still at the, in the position of sort of having a look at that. I think I just want to be clear. In terms of the governance, I think Club 1872 is in very good shape. Um, I mentioned when I spoke to Stevie last week that we had gone through a very um, sort of in-depth and intense um, period of um, discussions with the regulator of community interest companies. Um, we had legal representation, um, sort of looking over the articles of association. We had um, a, a consultation period with the membership. So there were a lot of sort of eyes on that work that we were doing to make sure that it was a robust constitution that was put in place. So in terms of the governance, I think we're in very good shape. Um, it's operationally that I think things are, are almost certainly going to have to change in that regard. Um, but no, no decisions have been taken yet, but certainly we will be looking at um, how much money we've got coming in. Again, it, it, look, it's a numbers game. Um, yes, you're absolutely right. The admin budget could potentially be huge. Um, in terms of percentages, I don't think there are many organisations that operate on such a small um, admin budget. We, we operate um, up to 5%. Um, but we've addressed that sort of increase or potential increase in the admin budget on the website. But definitely we will be looking at professionalising the organisation because it's it will get to a point where it's too big for volunteers. But we have to we have to look at um, the reality of the situation just now. How much do we have available? How much will we have available? So there'll be a lot of planning involved in that. The more members we have, the more we can spend on things like advertising and marketing. And that's where we actually have a meeting tomorrow um, with someone who's come to us um, he has a background in marketing and he's keen initially um, to help out on a voluntary basis. Um, he's a Rangers fan and he's someone who we're very excited to meet with. Um, and there will be opportunities there for, to, to professionalise the organisation in that regard. But no, no decisions have been taken at this stage. And, and Dave, without putting you on the spot, if I may, would that be something that you'd be willing to lend your own business expertise into the guys if, if they were looking to be able to try and set up a structure or a framework that through your experience of, of obviously such high-end business deals that you'd be able to, to offer an opinion on? Well, I'd certainly be very willing to do that, but my feeling at the moment is that, in my dealings with the Club 1872, I think they understand far better than I do um, how to relate to supporters. Um, I think they understand you know, the business model and, and what's necessary to make this project work. So yeah, I, I would be available, but I really feel extremely confident that the, that the resources within Club 1872 and the discussions I've had with them as to how it will look going forward um, is in fact in very, very capable hands and they know exactly what they need to do. And, and based on my experience of dealing with, with, with Laura and Chris and the other guys over the last number of years, I'm extremely confident that they will get done what needs to be done. Dave, what would you like your legacy as Rangers chairman to be? Um, yeah, I, I would like it, I guess, to be in two parts. You know, one is, is um, you know, I would like to think that along with other supporters that I was, you know, partly instrumental in getting the club back to being successful. Um, and certainly if you look at where the club is at this point in time, given that our benchmarks, as I repeatedly I think said at the AGMs and the other interviews, is getting back to competing for titles and competing in Europe, you know, we're actually doing that. So... In that sense, I think the club is successful um, off the park and is, is successful on the park. And the the off the park situation is something I would like to 
you know, perhaps address briefly is, you know, there's a reference earlier on about, you know, the club running a deficit for the coming year. And, and I want to make a very, very important point here that the deficit that the club announced um, in the integrated report has, has two aspects to it. The one is the, the normal deficit that any club operates on when you produce accounts, which is your auditors come along, they make assumptions and say, well, let's assume you don't win the league. Let's assume you get knocked out in the first round in Europe. And let's assume all the negatives, which auditors do, then the club needs that amount of funding. And, and that was no different to the situation that I had as chairman, where every year the auditors would, would demand financial guarantees. And I would have to put that up because without that, we wouldn't get licenses. But the money was never called upon because it was always based in the worst case scenario. So I think we must keep that in context when we think about the level of funding that the club suggests it might need. We already know with the success in Europe, et cetera, that that gap is, you know, is largely reduced. So I think that's the one point. There's a theoretical funding and there's an actual funding. If I come to the actual funding, um, I want to make a point there as well. The actual funding that the club will need for this year is based on the club's success and the club's financial robustness. In other words, only because of what we've done over the last number of years to shore up the balance sheet, to provide the deficit funding to get the club back to where we needed to be competitively, only because we've done all that was the board in a position this year to go into the transfer market and sign two strikers and not sell anyone. Because if the club wasn't financially robust, it would have signed two strikers and sold Morellas. But the club was in a position because it's financially sound to sign two strikers to look at the values for Morellas and decide not to sell them and, and make a decision for the season. So I, I actually quite like the fact that the club is running a deficit this year because it's made a decision not based on financial need, but just based on footballing reasons to say, do we think we should sell the player? We don't have to. It might be convenient, but we don't actually have to. And they've made, they've made a footballing decision, which I think is a great decision, but I underscore the point, it does indicate the financial strength that the club has right now to have that level of flexibility. Fantastic, and certainly we're seeing the rewards of of all your work over the last few years on the pitch. And and again, you know, without wanting to blow too much smoke, um, there isn't a Rangers fan alive, I don't think, who doesn't. You saved the club. It really is that simple. And we wouldn't be in this position right now if it wasn't for the work that you undertook. I appreciate them, I and mean, I appreciate that. But I do want to remind you again that, that I couldn't have done it without the, the, the support of the supporters, and my fellow board members, and, and the broader Rangers community at large. Can I just ask you both then, in terms of what the next steps will be, what we we, we plan to see in the kind of the coming months, and obviously the drive to be able to get to the the twenty thousand members, uh, what that kind of looks like as we get into the beginning of the next year. Yeah, um, I think that we will, as I said, we're, we're, we're meeting with people who we believe will be very helpful in terms of marketing the campaign. Um, so we you will see a sort of continued presence um, within fan media and we'll be engaging with mainstream media and we're going to be looking at sort of various new ways of, of reaching the support. Um, a lot of what we would hope to do as part of a campaign like this has been put on hold because of COVID. Um, we've previously done some roadshows with RSCs um, we would like to be in a position to hold sort of sign-up events like that. We've always had a match day presence at Ibrooks. Um, we have volunteers who come in and take uh, leaflets and hand them out um, around about the stadium. Um, I think we would like to have more of a sort of structure to that. Um, I mean, like we all want to be back at matches. Um, 
I'm keen to get back so that we can we can get back to sort of marketing club 1872 and speaking to supporters like one to one um, about what we're trying to do. Um, but I have to tell you, like that's probably not my main reason for getting back to Ibrox, but it, it's it is an important reason. Um, like we're all desperate to get back, except from you, David, because you're already there. Um, but look, yeah, we're we're keen to get back and meet. meet oh, people. Yes, shush. <laughs> We almost got away with it. We almost didn't get into the you're too close to the club and the blue pound and all that. But, oh, I know, I know. Um, but no, look, it's great. I mean, you, you're aware that we were very supportive. It wouldn't have been. We wouldn't have just put this out here. It was Club 1872 um, who, who engineered that. It wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been Club 1872. And I just want to put that on the record publicly. No, like we've always been behind the idea of the club engaging uh, closely with um, so but look we're all desperate to get back to Ibrooks um to see the team but also I'm keen to get back so that we can sort of put more structure in place in terms of um communicating with members we have an a, a, an office at Ibrooks in Copeland House um, we would like to be holding sort of sign up events there we would like to be going around Rangers pubs and whatnot but we are in touch with people um at the moment who we hope will be able to facilitate those kind of events but um, you know, these are uncertain and, and challenging times um, for any business, um, but certainly we, we will be looking at sort of um, sustained uh, uh, engagement with the support over the next few months. And Laura, what I'd, I'd also like to kind of say as well is um, please use us as best you possibly can for that, because I think one of the big things that we want to be able to try and do is make sure that there's plenty of dialogue going back and forth. Um, and, and we've got a great opportunity here to be able to try and, and, and get in some of that. Uh, you know, the questions and comments, stuff that, you know, ourselves and myself and David have done and also Stevie last week with Chris. And it's really important that we can we can continue to support you in the best possible way. So uh, we hope to get you back on on a kind of continuing basis uh, across the, the course of the next year. No, that, that would be absolutely brilliant. Um, my colleague Ewan, who sits on the board, he's always keen to get involved in this kind of thing as well. Um, and it probably would have been him because I had done Stevie's pod last week. It probably would have been him that had done uh, today's pod. Um, he just wasn't available, just his work schedule meant that he couldn't do it. Um, but that would be great if you could get him on for a chat. Um, like there are, as I say, there are a number of volunteers at Club 1872. There's myself and Joanne and Ewan on the board. Um, but even in terms of like working group volunteers, um, we talked about, you know, some of them prefer um, to keep their involvement private, but but not all of them do. And I know that there would be working group members like um, Bruce Taylor, who previously sat on the board and um, resigned, stepped away from the board for personal reasons, um, but is now in a position to offer some help and assistance to Club 1872. Um, I know that he would be delighted to have a chat with you. Um, if you wanted to have a chat with Chris, I'm sure he would be available to do that. Um, he has a really interesting perspective like yourselves because he was involved in previous fans groups and he has seen, you know, through his sort of work at Club 1872 and his interaction with other working group members and whatnot, he's seen how the thing has evolved. So he has an interesting perspective as well. So these are guys that we, I think we'd be delighted to speak to you. So thank you for that offer. We will definitely take you up on it. And Dave, um, on behalf of the supporters, don't be a stranger. Yeah, I know. We, we're, I'm really looking forward to getting over there again. I'm sure like all you guys are, it's the... I think it's the longest time in probably about 30 years I've, I've been away from Scotland and from my family and from watching the team. So we're still under very severe lockdown here. It looks like we're on, it's going to be even tighter. You know, the, the, the cases are rising here quite remarkably at the moment as we go into the summer holiday period. Everyone's begging for Christmas. So I really don't see myself getting over there in the next couple of months, but hopefully probably the end of March, uh, end of April, and hopefully I'll be able to come over there and have a, a very grand celebration at some stage. 
<laughs> but we all look forward to that one. Uh, I just want to thank Lauren Day for giving us their time today. Um, and also to remind you that this was a sort of follow-up to Stevie at Four Lads and, and kind of a partnership thing. So listen to both. We didn't want to go over the same stuff. And that's why we, we um, went for, for different questions. And I think it's great that, that both Laura and Dave are out there. They're answering questions. They are available. If there's anything you want to follow up with, then I know that Club 1872 are very active on Twitter, on Facebook. Uh, you can email them. They're obviously very busy right now, as you can imagine. So, you know, give them a couple of days. But... Huge thanks to both of you, and may we just wish you all the all the continued success in this project. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Very much appreciated. Thank you. So thank you um, to, to Dave King and to Laura Fox for the, their opportunity from, from David and myself. Hope you enjoyed listening to that. As we said within the conversation, we are looking to be able to try and maintain that regular dialogue with the guys to see as to how uh, the project is coming along. Um, very, very sure that they'll be successful and be able to try and, and attract as much uh, investment to that as possible. And if you'd like to be able to do that, please head over to Club 1872. Uh, their website is club1872.co.uk and you can find them on Facebook and Twitter as well. Um, again, as we'd said before, the content in this uh, conversation was a little bit of a follow-on um, from some of the, the details that were discussed with uh, with Stevie and Chris and the Four Lads Had a Dream uh, pod. Please go on to uh, Twitter and um, check out Four Lads Had a Dream on there and the link will be on there as well if you're looking for it. Um, there's some great stuff covered in that and we also cover some additional things here as well. Hope you enjoyed that and we'll be back with you on Monday's flagship. Thanks all. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.